0: We will get going now, and if others uh, trickle in, that will uh, not be a problem. Let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another beautiful day. Lord, we are embarrassed by just the gifts you give us, how many gorgeous days in a row that you have uh, just showered on us, and, and Lord, we are so thankful for your common grace, the rain that falls on the just and unjust alike. We are so thankful for your special grace, the grace of... Salvation, when you sent your son Jesus Christ to come and uh, take our sins on his shoulders that we might not die uh, the second death, that we might, though we die, live forever. And Lord, we are so thankful for all of these things. We gather together week by week, but we also in every aspect of our lives seek to honor you, to worship you, to lift up your name, Lord, to draw closer to you. And as we uh, look at this uh, document that was put together uh, first by Puritans in, in England and then uh, by Baptists uh, was, was modified. We, we pray, Lord, that we would find uh, their wisdom is a boon to us and, and a help to our, our piety and our, our uh, following close after your son, Jesus. We pray, Lord, that you would reveal a bit more of yourself to us today. And as we read about the law and continue studying the Ten Commandments in this portion of the Catechism, we thank you. And praise you that we do not find salvation by keeping these commandments because we know not any one of us could be saved by works of the law. But Lord, that we find salvation uh, by grace through faith. That it is not of any one of us, not by anything we've done or could do, only by the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, We are so thankful for that more than anything else. And we'll never stop praising you and and magnifying your name for all eternity uh, for the, the great gifts you have given us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we are on question 57, very briefly, because it's one of those that's just like, what is this? And then the next one is, what does it mean? So uh, let's read together. Question 57, what is the seventh commandment? Answer, the seventh commandment is, thou shall not commit adultery. Old-timing sermon illustration. It's a long one. Everybody buckle in. In the conversion of Colonel James Gardner, recorded by Philip Dotteridge, there is a striking account of how this famous soldier's contempt for the Seventh Commandment was ended. While in Paris in July 1719, Gardner had spent the evening in some gay company and had, play, and had planned on an unhappy association with a married woman whom he was to meet that same night at exactly 12 o'clock. Well done, Alex. The company broke up about eleven, and not judging it convenient to anticipate the time appointed, he went into his chamber to kill the tedious hour, perhaps with some amusing book. But it accidentally happened that he took up a religious book, which his good mother or aunt had, without his knowledge, slipped into his cases. It was The Christian Soldier, or Heaven Taken by Storm, by Thomas Watson. Ever read anything by Thomas Watson? Spectacular! Have you ever read uh, The Valley of Vision? About two-thirds of that is by Thomas Watson. No? You, you have. You don't like it. Get The Valley of Vision. <laughs> I wonder if they'd come up with like a, uh, a modernized English version of that that kills all the majesty, and you'd be like, yeah, this is right where the rubber hits the road. Uh, guessing by the tide of it that he should find some phrases of his own profession, spiritualized, in a manner in which he thought might afford him some diversion, he resolved to dip into it, But he took no serious notice of anything he read in it. And yet, while this book was in his hand, an impression was made upon his mind. Perhaps God only knows how, which drew after it a train of the most important and happy consequences. He thought he saw an unusual blaze of light fall on the book while he was reading which he at first imagined might happen by some accident in the candle, but lifting up his eyes, he apprehended to his extreme amazement that there was before him, as if suspended in the air, a visible representation of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross, surrounded on all sides with a glory, and was impressed as if a voice or some equivalent to a voice had come to him to this effect, for he was not confident as to the very words, O sinner, did I suffer this for thee, And are these thy returns? Struck with so amazing a phenomenon as this, there remained hardly any life in him, so that he sunk down in the armchair in which he sat, and continued, he knew not exactly how long, insensible. Nor did he, throughout all the remainder of the night, once recollect that criminal and detestable assignation which had before engrossed all his thoughts. He rose in a tumult of passions not to be conceived, and walked to and fro in the chamber till he was ready to drop down in unutterable astonishment and agony of heart, appearing to himself the vilest monster in the creation of God, who had all his lifetime been crucifying Christ afresh with his sins, and now saw, as he assuredly believed, by a miraculous vision, the horror of what he had done. Which this was connected, such a view both of the majesty and goodness of God as caused him to loathe and abhor himself and to repent as in dust and ashes. Seventh commandment, not usually part of people's uh, public testimony. But for this guy, that was his plan. And while he was waiting out the tedious hour, uh, had this Supernatural experience it raises in my mind several questions that aren't entirely related to the seventh commandment one is it's odd that there's this Puritan having first of all a kind of Vision that you might instead associate with a Pentecostal or or someone uh, more of the enthusiast uh, persuasion And that in that vision he's seeing a representation of Christ himself on the cross Which I think even if you read the Westminster longer or larger catechism Uh, which is a kind of expanded version of uh, the parent of this document, Uh, it says that images, certainly it says that images of Christ break the the second commandment, but it even says that to fix an image in your mind of Christ is to break the second commandment. Now I think both of those things are are off base, but it's interesting to me that someone reading Thomas Watson, who then later became uh, a rather well-known Puritan Christian, would find his salvation while kind of seeing what would have to have been an image created specifically by God and kind of projected into the air before him. Uh, if you ask me, this is if I could choose, I wouldn't want to be sitting there in a sad place waiting for a prostitute, but if I could choose like the means of conversion to be holy you know, revelation of Christ on the cross in fire in front of my eyes, uh, I'd love to be able to think back on that and that uh, would certainly bolster your faith. Uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting is that he was so convinced that he had throughout his whole life, uh, it sounds like he, he certainly was sort of religious. He had a mother or an aunt who, good job, mom or aunt, slipped some religious books into his case, but thought of himself as somewhat religious to the point where he thought he had been throughout his life crucifying Christ afresh by his sins, which is language that I associate with apostasy Uh, And the kind of Hebrews 6, Hebrews 11 as well, um, you know, reference to no more sacrifice left for someone who does this. If they've crucified Christ again, there's no new Christ to be crucified uh, again for them. Uh, And yet, this guy in this moment realized that he had been continually crucifying Christ by his sins, and now, because God revealed it to him, was able to repent as in dust and ashes. I also love that he just forgets. It's not that he's like got to cancel the appointment with the prostitute downstairs. It's just the carnal stuff is as far from his mind as it could be. And he's upstairs pacing, pacing, pacing in in his room. Um, The whole thing to me is wonderful, old-timey sermon material. Um, So let's talk about the seventh commandment itself. Uh, This is, of course, you know, what we didn't do this last week. This is going to be rough because it's been so very many months since we together did the hand motions. I don't want anyone to be too cool for it. We'll, we'll just relearn them as we go, right? One, that one is, there's one God, right? Thou shalt have no other God. gods before me. Two, remember what you do? Yeah. Boom, it's knees, little guy, he's kneeling. Not bow down to grave image. shall make no graven images, you shall not bow down and worship them. Three. Yeah, um, Sam's got it. Put them to your lips. You know, maybe in the current uh, culture, you don't quite touch your lips. I don't know. Um, but the third is, thou shalt not take the, Lord's name in vain. take the Lord's name in vain, the name of the Lord your God in vain. The fourth one, they get We're more Sabbath and more stretchy day. from here. These little guys head to church. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. You can like, make up little conversations for them. Like, hey, I forgot your Bible. I got my Bible. Or they can be fighting on the way there, and then when they get there, you can have them go inside. Oh, <laughs> Levi's the little pinky. I love it. Uh, fifth. Honor your father and your mother. It's a spanking. Well, will Honor your father and mother. That's the only one with a promise, etc. Okay, the sixth one. Yep. I shall not murder. I shall not murder. And now we're on the seventh. And this one is uh, the second biggest stretch, I think. This? No. <laughs> it's like this. <laughs> oh,
1: the A. And you're what? making an A. Whoa. Okay. okay. So, you,
0: so if you're listening to this, you take the two fingers and turn them down. So they make like the the kind of... Shift six part of the A, and then you take the all five fingers of the other and turn it sideways, so you're looking at it sideways and make the crossbar of the A. It doesn't work
1: for yourself; it only works for somebody else. It
0: doesn't. It, it's so dumb that you will remember it now. Like with mnemonic devices, the dumber one. they are. That's
1: the one that's hardest to remember. Really?
0: Okay. Well, that one is then. Thou shalt not commit adultery. The
1: next one is the. It's entertaining. It's isn't.
0: Yeah, the next one. Okay, let's do the rest of them. Eight, you make little... That's they're not, not goggles. Steal. It's a little mask. A mask. So you're you're good. You're you're, you're the virtuous one because you're wearing the mask. That's the wrong kind of mask. Oh, wrong kind of mask. <laughs> All right, so, yeah, thou shalt not steal. Oh, <laughs> not, this one is, one the this is the biggest, but you remembered it. You take the nine and you go, well, and you lay them down. It's They're, they're lying. They shall not bear, bear fall not fall. A false witness. Oh, okay. And then number ten... Oh. Is you go like this? You put them out and you and you use the fingers to make like "give me more, give me more" gesture. And it's "thou shalt not covet." Barb is thoroughly unimpressed with all of this. She's shaking her head the whole time. I learned it before
1: when you, I think you preached them in the sanctuary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Years I remember ago. Remember them? And honestly, I don't think those can help me. <laughs> I think I need to go back and just remember.
0: Them. That's funny. For me, the no, dumber the mnemonic acronym. device, the better. You
1: need an acronym. Yeah, yeah. She's to remember mm-hmm.
0: it. Yeah, she'll so be like, oh, yeah, the Ten Commandments. Okay, got it. <laughs> um, that, that's the, the seventh one. And here is in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, there's another question here before what is forbidden. And it asks what is required in the seventh commandment? The answer is the seventh commandment requireth the preservation of our own and our neighbor's chastity in heart, speech, and behavior. Now, this is a word that I think most people don't grasp what it means. Chastity. Uh, I've heard people talk about a vow of chastity that priests take, and indeed priests are to remain chaste, but so are married Christians and single Christians of all types, okay? Chastity is not celibacy. Celibacy is what the the priest, I'm never going to uh, get married. I'm never going to uh, have sexual relations at all. I am going to commit myself entirely to God. Uh, Holy orders of all kinds, nuns, uh, priests take that uh, sort of a vow. Uh, And Paul seems to have held that up highly. He doesn't like the forbidding to marry because that is ascetic, that is uh, denigrating creation and uh, it leads to all sorts of false doctrines but in his time he thought hey if you've got the gift to signal this like I do and you can just commit to this but everyone uh, we read Paul's teaching to the married people, to young single people, to widows and widowers, everyone is to remain chaste. What is chastity? If you had to define it.
1: Would it just be a purity? Would it be a
0: Synonym? Yeah, I think purity is a good synonym, a a vow of purity. To the point of thought and heart inclination, you think of uh, that verse in Job, I have made a covenant with my eyes, how can I look upon the young woman? Um, I think a good definition of chastity, which I think comes from the Westminster Larger, is chastity is an abhorrence of all uncleanness, whether in the body or in the mind, and affections. So the notion that we would Hate Uncleanness now, that's kind of a double negative rather than that. We would love purity, but I think you need both I, I saw somebody on Twitter the other day um, I think responding reacting to some kind of controversy I'm not aware of saying Christians need to be known not just by what they're for but by what they're against and wait, Do you
1: mean that switch
0: I don't um, and I think he was responding to someone who was saying now? Let's not be negative The world only hears us talk about what we're against so let's instead just talk about how we love Jesus and we're for forgiveness and blah 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 and leave all that controversial stuff aside and this guy uh, was saying no we do need to be known by what we're first of all what we're for which is that Christ is our Savior grace through faith etc but also what we're against because someone needs to speak out into the darkness Uh, and say, this is the truth. You're hearing lies, and we reject all uncleanness. Uh, This happens throughout the New Testament. I mean, if you took out the sections where Paul was talking about what he's against and only left him talking about what he was for, the New Testament epistles would shrink by half at least. There's a lot of correcting, uh, correcting errors, uh, correcting uh, behavioral problems in the church that become a bad witness for that congregation and bring uh, all sorts of ill repute on Jesus' name. Uh, I had written a note to read. I was really into like, reading the Roman Catholic Catechism for some reason the last time we went through this, uh, comparing and contrasting. I don't know how useful that is. I didn't even bring it in here, so we'll, we'll skip that. Uh, if you want to write down uh, that Job reference, that's Job 31.1, uh, that is where uh, the... Uh, software service that's uh, founded right here in, oh gosh, right nearby. Cal, you and I went there. Um, it's called Covenant Eyes. What town is that in? St. Like John's. St. John's, yeah, it's in St. John's. Uh, and it's worldwide. Uh, covenant Eyes meaning I've made a covenant with my eyes and now I'm going to covenant with other people so that when I'm on the, you know, in, in the sewer pipe that is the information superhighway, I will not get into all the filth and garbage we'll hold each other accountable. It's an accountability partner system. They get it from that verse. Uh, there's a great Trip Lee song called Covenant Eyes. Um, I should play that in here and just watch you all respond to it. Um, but uh, the idea that that is at its heart what chastity is. It's not uh, like even the vow of celibacy is basically saying, however much I'm going to want to do this thing, I'm not going to do it because of my commitment to God. Chastity is... I love Christ so much, and I am going to abhor these things so that more and more I don't want to do them. More and more what I want is to honor God with every aspect of of myself. Uh, St. Ambrose said, there are three forms of the virtue of chastity. The first is that of spouses, the second that of widows, and the third that of virgins. We do not praise any of them to the exclusion of the others. This is what makes for the richness of the discipline of the church. The idea that It's more holy to be uh, a forever celibate monk or priest or something, comes into the church rather late, and if Luther has anything to say about it, exits the church in the early 16th century, uh, at least the evangelical church and the Protestant movement, everyone can be chaste. I wonder if some people just were like, this is going to be uncomfortable, so I'm not going to come this week. You think that might have happened. They looked ahead and they were like, adultery, Pastor Zach up there talking about that. Maybe not. (laughs) The best way then to preserve chastity, according to uh, the Westminster divines, is the cherishing in our minds and consciences a continual regard, reverence, and awe of the divine majesty and fear of displeasing him. This, I think, is key because it emphasizes a love of God. Can you say that again? Yes. The cherishing in our minds and consciences, a continual regard, reverence, and awe of the divine majesty, and a fear of displeasing him. Uh, just this past week, uh, Ryan Doherty and I went to Grand Rapids to support a friend of mine who you probably met if you if you live here very long. Uh, his name is uh, Noah Philippiak. He was here... Um, preaching and, and kind of repping covenant eyes a couple of years ago, he wrote a book uh, that Zondervan picked up. Wonderful book. I think I have a copy of it in, in the library there. Uh, it's called Beyond the Battle. And it's called that because there's a book called Every Man's Battle. And it's about how you know, men are dogs and all guys are constantly just thinking rotten thoughts. You have to train yourself to like Pavlovian... Like just like a dog would be trained. You hear the ding and you know something happens and what you need to do is the the Stimulus is if you see, you know a woman in a short skirt walking by the response is you bounce your eyes away Useful I suppose in a pinch if if you go, whoa, wait, I shouldn't be okay bounce your eyes away Noah's point is all that does is treat a symptom right now We're dealing with that's like if whenever you see someone you want to murder you just bounce your eyes away. And don't get concerned by the fact that you wanted to murder 19 people today. No, that should concern you. It's a heart issue that we're dealing with. And so his book, Beyond the Battle, the subtitle is uh, A Guide to Men Finding Their Identities in Christ in an Oversexualized world. And the idea is instead of uh, just going, well, we all have this sickness around us. Let's deal with the symptoms at a surface level. It's the very same thing that we're reading here. Just instead... Fix your eyes on Christ. And John Piper has a similar thing. There's a, it's. I think the article that you introduced it in was in the context of lust and things for men, but it's great for any kind of temptation. Uh, it is the acronym, Barb, just for you, Anthem, A N T H E M, and it starts with the bouncing the eyes away or moving quickly the heart away, the mind away from the temp, the temptation, but then it goes deeper. So the A is for avoid which means if you know that you're going to sin if you're in this place or with these people or on this website or whatever don't do it Der. and is for no and that would be the the bounce part where you, you is the moment any kind of temptation something that is going to be displeasing to god a desire to gossip a desire to lash out at someone or even just to take that hatred and kind of suck it in and hold it close to your heart for a minute because it feels good you have to say no with as much force as possible piper says even to say it out loud which i think would make everyone think you were crazy and might make life more interesting if you're walking around going no Um, but to just as firmly as possible snuff it out like like the heel of christ on the snake the t is then for turn turn away from it But not just to whatever's near it. Not just, oh, I'm going to bounce over. And I think every man's battle, I read it years ago. I think it's like, you know, find somebody that you're definitely not going to have any. Which is just awful objectifying of people to the core. Um, But, you know, like if you're at the beach, find like some hairy dude in a Speedo or something and (laughs) bounce your eyes to him. Instead, turn to Christ. and, And... Now you're, instead of thinking about this thing that you're tempted to do, you're doing exactly what we read here, uh, cherishing in our minds and consciences, great reverence and awe for the divine majesty. The H is for hold, meaning you didn't hold on the temptation, but now you hold on to Christ for a moment. You just, you take a beat and you think about who your God is and how you were bought with a price and how much he loves you and how there's no satisfaction in any of the garbage you were tempted to do in the flesh. But when you turn to Christ, there's perfect satisfaction in him. You hold it there. Um, I'm doing this from memory. The E is for enjoy. So enjoy the fact that you are able to come before the throne of God. Now we're no longer thinking about this momentary, uh, um, you know, pleasure or gratification in the flesh that would have just turned to shame. Now we're thinking about enjoying the eternal God who created us and loves us and redeemed us. And then M is move and it is move into something useful. You were tempted to do something that was not only useless, but detrimental to you in the image of God in you and in somebody else. Now move into serving someone, reading a, reading a good book for that matter, anything that's going to be useful. And I love the way that that starts with, yes, the necessity of got to clamp down on... And even this reminds us of how Paul talks about beating his body and keeping it under subjection like a like an athlete punishes his body when he runs really hard and trains. But then it moves quickly away from that. It's not just about discipline. It's not about I made a vow and I got to keep a vow. It's about what Christ did for me and who he is and holding fast to him and enjoying his presence. I I think that is in many ways, the heart of the, not only the Reformed, but the Christian approach to these matters of, of purity and things. Somebody open your Bible to Proverbs 5, if you would. And read 20 and 21. And while that happens, somebody else flip over to Genesis 39. We're going to need somebody there in a minute. Well, Let's hear five twenty and 21. 20. Why should
1: you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths.
0: All right, so that is uh, wisdom literature from Solomon to his son. (laughs) And, I mean, the Holy Spirit inspired that, so we're not going to say this guy has kind of lost credibility in that area. Um, But... And, and of course, none of those women were forbidden from a societal point of view. Most of those were marriages of convenience and political uh, expediency. But certainly he's not finding fulfillment in the life of his youth to honor God, etc. He's saying God's always watching. Careful. Uh, What about Genesis 39, 7-9? a sin against his master to sleep with his wife but he primarily says it's a sin against god i can't i can't do this against god he's keeping in mind uh that majesty of god as well i think both of those uh highlighting women as the kind of temptress is where the church has tended to go but there are very very many passages you can go to in the scriptures that point to men being slobbering idiots driven by libido uh and and just headlong into sin. I mean, they didn't give us any of those, but I think that's kind of a indicator of who put this stuff together. Uh, old white men in the Renaissance. So <laughs> that's just what we're dealing with. We could say, you know, what, what are the effects of uh, not being chased and not keeping guard on our, you know, Paul talking about every man uh, keeping his own vessel in honor. And the answer could be looking at when David's son was filled with lust for his own sister and raped her, and, and awful things. I mean, or, or um, I mean, are, let's not get into the seediest parts of the Bible. But there are innumerable situ- innumerable situations in the Bible where people of every walk of life and both genders throw aside honoring God with their sexuality, and horrible things transpire. Think, says Cornelius Alapide. When lusts goad thee, in thy hand and choice are heaven and hell, salvation and damnation, bliss or misery everlasting. Choose, think, a moment which delighteth eternity with tortureth on one hand, a moment which tortureth eternity which delighteth on the other. I think that is, that ought to be on every youth group wall everywhere. (laughs) Right? The moment which tortureth is always on everyone's mind. uh, But there is eternity uh, in view as well what is god's ordained means of preserving chastity it starts in the garden Amen. marriage right somebody read for us first corinthians 6:18 or no i'm sorry first corinthians 7:2 and then keep it there because we're going to go back to 6:18 first corinthians
1: 7 2.
0: god's ordained means of preserving chastity
1: But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband.
0: There it is. Paul's view is a little bleak, I think, at that moment anyway, when he says the reason that men and women should have wives and husbands is because of temptation to sexual uh, sin. Uh, But again, he's writing in a, a context where he thinks the suffering that's coming would make it best if everyone was kind of unattached and able to move quickly. Uh, adultery, uh, according to Burkitt, among all sins, the sin of uncleanness lies heaviest upon the conscience, for no other sin is so directly contrary to holiness. No sin quenches the Holy Ghost like this. Aaron, uh, if you're still on that page, read for us 1 Corinthians six eighteen about the kind of uniqueness of adultery. Mm.
1: Well, I crossed out a word, which I assume means that you said to cross it out. Or you just didn't like it. I'm going to read it without it.
0: Now read it with it. Don't, don't. Okay. Okay.
1: <laughs> Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin, other is the one that. Mm. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body.
0: Anybody have a different translation? I wonder why that's crossed out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: You definitely told us that that shouldn't be in there. I would not otherwise cross it I
0: don't know I've seen some of your Bibles it's just like black highlighters there's, there's very stuff. little left <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. very redacted <laughs> every so every sin every other sin i don't I don't recall that i I'm assuming that the word uh, other was just not in the Greek text and that was an interpretive choice I don't know um I have no reason at the moment to say that that we should strike that. Every other sin is outside of the body, but the the sin of... uh, the sexual sins are all against the body. Uh, So there are different forms this can take. Obviously, if you ask someone on the street what's adultery, they'll say it's sleeping with another person's spouse. That is adultery proper, I guess. There is also, bless you, fornication uh, that is outside of marriage entirely. uh, Sex that's happening. That's basically the norm in our culture now. I think it, it... wasn't quite even when I was in my teens and early 20s but I mean it happened obviously but it was not so thoroughly celebrated and, and kind of affirmed by our culture uh, as long as there is the sacrament of consent present for both parties then the thing is holy in our, in our view our culture's view um, uh, so a lot of fornication what is it the apostle says to do with fornication flee it Flee. That is what we see happening with with Joseph, where he turns and just runs, right? He doesn't have the argument with her. He's like, can't do it, gotta go, too holy, and he's off, and she gets a hold of his garment and is able to set him up and and take him down for a while, but he gets out of there and he remains unstained by, by that sin. There is polygamy. This is controversial, maybe, because in the Bible there are examples of. You know, patriarchs and people who are held up as, as holy uh, or at least as uh, examples in some ways that have multiple wives. Uh, and when you get to the New Testament, we believe in progressive revelation. We, we believe that probably what was happening, just as we are told that that because of the hardness of men's hearts, God permitted this certificate of divorce with no reason to just be jotted off and, and uh, given to the wife. In the same way, because of the hardness of hearts, God for a time passed over their former sin of uh, multiplying wives. We get into the New Testament in light of what Christ did for us, his bride. If you want any position in the church, even to serve as a deacon or even to belong uh, at the communion rail, you got to be the husband of no more than one wife, right? Uh, wife of no more than one husband, this is the picture that we have from the very beginning of what marriage is. Jesus, it's often said that Jesus had nothing to say about marriage. Not true. In Genesis, he says, first of all, it's not good for man to be alone. going to take that rib. General anesthesia. Here's the woman. Now they're both enamored of each other, and they join together, and Jesus quotes Genesis saying that, for this reason, a man and woman will leave their parents and the two become one flesh. That's what marriage is. So when we get to something like polygamy, that's not a man and a woman leaving that. Now now we don't have this beautiful picture of Christ and the the, the church and the beautiful um, unity that we see there. We Instead, we have this weird multifaceted thing that, that doesn't work and, and kind of is maybe Christ and the church and other gods that we are um, uh, tempted by or something like that. Polygamy is not the norm. Even you look at Malachi 2, you, you read through that, and you can read that God's not happy with, with the, the practice. It's not something that, that uh, he ever intended, and it's not something that he intends to let continue. Uh, into the New Testament age, uh, other forms of adultery, and this this is uh, where we start to get into like how there are these big umbrella sins with other things under them, like honor your father and mother includes your your boss and governmental authorities and, the, and stuff. As the law is laid out, um, sins like incest, unjust divorce, lust. Jesus makes that very clear. If you look at a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. All of these things break. The uh, commandment, uh, we read in Romans 1 that uh, men lying with men as with women and uh, women uh, rejecting natural uh, affection for men and lying with one another is an example of, of sin that then causes God to hand people over to their own shameful lusts. Uh, so all of these things can be kind of grouped together under the seventh commandment. Uh, In the Westminster Larger Catechism, question 139 asks, What are the usual incentives to unchaste thoughts? And the answer is, lascivious songs, books, pictures, dancings, stage plays, and the like. This is, wow, 1677, when these things are first laid out. Uh, And fast forward a couple hundred years, even more, and Charles Spurgeon is still sounding the same alarms. You guys call yourself Christians, and I see you coming out of the theater, and I see you coming out of places where there is dancing and that sort of thing. Very Baptist to be anti-dancing. Uh, the old joke: um, Why do Christians or why do Baptists not take part in premarital sex? Because it might lead to dancing. Uh, that was a, a common one to hear on my Christian college campus where I attended. What do you think of this stuff? If, if, if for a couple hundred years, the idea that uh, books, pictures, dancing, stage plays, and the like are going to necessarily kind of turn our minds toward things lascivious and toward lustful thoughts, which are going to cause us to break the Seventh Commandment, why do we kind of all chuckle when you hear it now? And and why is it that some, you hear a Christian talking in these terms? Like, I, I don't have a TV in my house because... Uh, you know it's going to necessarily lead to wickedness i don't go to the movie house i don't play the devil's playing cards we all automatically think oh okay fundamentalist that doesn't understand grace or christian liberty what what is it that we get that they didn't get for a couple hundred years or vice versa do you think
1: maybe discernment of the content of what you're going to see before you go to see it or turn it in or whatever you're going to do
0: discernment what do you mean by that
1: being able to no, because you can go to a play. But maybe not every play.
0: Et cetera. Yeah. I mean if you go see Lion King on Broadway, it's gonna be squeaky clean. But there's not many plays, I don't think, that you could even go to, and certainly not many movies, that wouldn't be a little more lascivious than the plays that were popular in the seventeenth and eighteenth century. We read them in high school, many of them, right? There are sex jokes aplenty throughout Shakespeare. And so going to attend Shakespearean plays would have been very frowned upon by the Puritans because how could, you, how could you do that and still call yourself a Christian? And yet, you know, everyone knows I went on the Breaking Bad tour when we were in Albuquerque and you go, wow, that was a play, that'd be the, I mean, we got turtles with exploding heads on them and things and, and I'm going, no, this is a wonderful way to engage culture and talk about Uh, themes of sin and consequences and redemption and and all these things. And on top of that, it's just amazing artistry and storytelling and yet someone would say that's going to lead your mind away from an abhorrence of all uncleanliness which is the definition of chastity and maybe it'll lead you towards some tolerance of uncleanliness. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think that there's it's a weird tension because I think Barb's right that, you know, there. are you could watch that show, like you were saying when they were first um, developing that show that the people they were, what was it, the DEA was like, but that doesn't glorify taking drugs and, and the mm-hmm. drug trade and stuff like that. And they're like, no, and if you watch that show, it really, really doesn't. But you could, there are plenty of shows that do. Mm-hmm. You know. So you might have a show that deals with a certain theme that... Is very casual about sin and doesn't care, but you might also have one that's just really honest about what does this lead to. And each individual person, then I think, depending on your own temperament, depending on you know, how you've engaged culture before and the people who are surrounding you, like if you're surrounding yourself with people who are okay with that, then you might be tempted to be like, okay, if everybody's okay with this, that's fine. But if you're surrounding you with people who with people who aren't, then I think maybe you have a little bit stronger you know, footing for discerning for yourself. So I think it's not just like me as an individual watching something, it's like me as an individual as part of a life and as part of a family and as part of a, a church. Am I somebody who is um, training myself to be discerning, or am I somebody who's going to be more tending toward following
0: that, that all addresses the old fundamentalist objection of um, if someone sees you coming out of the, the movie house, you might make them stumble. You know, you can't even go see Boss Baby because <laughs> someone might think that you were there to see, you know, whatever. Uh, I'm trying to think of a really lascivious movie. I don't think they, they make as many of those. Showgirls 3 or something. That's probably a thing. Um, but uh, what about the idea that just for you individually, right. this is going to be the usual incentive to unchaste thoughts.
1: Then you should avoid it.
0: Right? Well, if, if you're saying if that's the case, but I'm saying that, that the larger the catechism says it's the case. So you're saying it's, it's not necessarily true.
1: Well, I don't know. I think that there's probably a lot of benefits to just saying, blanket, I'm never going to read a book. I'm never going to watch a movie. Uh, because I might be tempted but if you're if you're that likely to be tempted by those things there's going to be other things that are te- there's there's the world around you that's yeah. going to tempt you
0: and I think you have to you have to define what is lascivious songs what I mean there are songs right. that yeah you're not there was a song that made headlines within the past year that somehow got on like the top 10 that was the most vile disgusting thing I I've ever heard uh, a seminary professor that I follow on Twitter was like, you, pastors, you need to watch this video or at least listen to this song so you know what your young people are, are uh, encountering. And I was like, all right. And halfway through, I'm like, why, would you, why wouldn't you just say this is awful and I just turned it off? Um, yeah, it, sometimes it's easy to know. Uh, other times, it's it's not so much. Like when you, when something is not glorified. There is a lot of lascivious stuff in the Bible right. in the context of proclaiming this is what truth looks like lived out and this is what the, the battle for following the true God looks like lived out in a world that's just full of sin so if you remove I mean good grief there's probably in, in, in my books lascivious stuff um, you can't be sexual when a Christian publisher publishes it but you can be violent all day long uh, <laughs> which is odd uh, but you know I'm sure that probably the Westminster divines would have read uh, playing saints uh, and gone whoa This isn't Christian, this is awful. This would be a great inducement to unchaste thoughts. I think that maybe I would bring it back to Barb's uh, answer, which is that we have a more nuanced view of discernment and what that looks like. Um, I I don't think that that's necessarily better though than the society that the Puritans had established in which they said, we're not gonna go, okay, case by case, let's all like watch this play or read this book or you know it seems like it might be a suspect but let's let's check it out and discern they just said that might not be that looks like it's outside of and there's enough stuff that's not lascivious for sure we're just going to give that a wide berth there's there's something i think so laudable in that that i kind of I, I i think about it and i and i think that's probably a better way for a believer to operate you know not how close can i get to a line Uh, and yet not fall into sin. But how far can I get from it? Yeah?
1: I wonder, though, if that's a lot more effective when somebody chooses that for themselves than when they say... um, I think that a lot of times you get that sort of rebellious child thing when you're like, okay, you cannot do anything, and all your friends are doing everything, and you can't do this, can't do this, can't do this. Like, even you in college, you weren't supposed to smoke. You definitely smoked cigars. You know, you weren't supposed to have... (laughs) You definitely had a TV in your room. You know, like... I think it's, it's easier to, like, choose this thing for yourself. Like, I'm not going to do social media because it's harmful to me, or I'm not going to do this or that, rather than saying, like, look, with the Puritans. It was like everybody in their city, right? Like, it was, I don't know.
0: I'll tell you what, I lit up a cigar, and I stood before the dean of students. I said, you decide for yourself whether I must obey God or you. <laughs> I'm teasing. Um, yeah, no, I think, I, think, I think you are correct. Um, and, I mean, the the weight that's put on Christian liberty in the New Testament, we don't want to ignore, and I think the Puritans do kind of ignore it. There's something neater, cleaner, and simpler about the black and white, this stuff's bad, this stuff's good, but at the same time, yes, you're going to hear this uh, a sermon shortly about how effectively Puritans could, with their... Um, Fire and Brimstone bring people to faith. At the same time, there are many people who aren't going to, these days, go, Oh, someone's preaching Fire and Brimstone? I'm going to go check it out. <laughs> but if I can sit down next to my, in my co-worker and say, Oh, hey, you're watching this television show? What did you think about the way that the this character that was a Christian did this? Or whatever. I can engage with them on that level. I think that's something that the Puritans really couldn't very well yeah, do. Yeah, like if you didn't do any music... Movies,
1: TV, books, you'd have almost nothing to talk about with people who are not otherwise in your church circle.
0: To, to quote another possibly lascivious television show, uh, you'd become like Anne Veal, and that's the, the kind of representation you have of Christians in pop culture, where everything that's quote-unquote secular is evil, and they have to have their own like kind of bubble. And uh, <laughs> what was it? I thought you liked our idea of fun, which is study and singing. And he says, no, I like your idea of fun, not having it. (laughs) Um, If we present to the world a kind of joyless picture of life, not that we have a different source of joy, but that we just forego joy and and we're so committed that we don't need it, that's not going to draw anyone in to hear the message of the cross. And, And... we're going to a movie house this afternoon uh, to see a thing called The Jesus Music, which is about like the beginning of the Christian music industry and you know, starting in like the 70s and, and going into like Amy Grant and stuff. And uh, I'm, I'm really excited about it. A lot of that stuff, when it first came on the scene, I remember reading articles in Christianity Today about how people were worried that, that Amy Grant was leading people down, you know, while well, she sings, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path because She's wearing makeup and a pretty young lady and isn't trying to look, you know, like she's got burlap down to her ankles and her wrists. That this is... And we have to avoid, I think, these extremes. Not to find some balance in the middle, but to live in the tension of uh, avoiding sin, even the appearance of evil, and that doesn't mean something that looks like evil, but it means every time evil pops up, at the same time, recognizing we live in a world where we have to navigate a lot of shades of gray and keep our faith firmly rooted on the rock that is Jesus Christ. I can tell by everyone's body language it's about time to wrap this up. Uh, So we have a little more Seventh Commandment to do next time, uh, and then we will get into the eighth. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all these folks gathered together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that is chastity, Lord. And, And Lord, what a weird prayer that is to hear in 2021 But we thank you, Lord, that by your spirit dwelling in us, we can hate uncleanness and and abhor everything that would draw our minds away from you. And Lord, we can fix our minds on you and our hearts on you. And when we are tempted, Lord, we we can say no, turn away and hold fast to you and enjoy your presence with us. And Lord, we pray that would always be our response when we are tempted. Uh, to break any of the commandments. But this, this day we pray particularly about the seventh. And Lord, uh, we pray that you would keep us from falling into sin this, this week ahead. And Lord, keep us fixed on Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his holy name. Amen.